So our reading today is from Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So far the reading. Good morning, church. It's uh, good to be with you again this morning as we continue our way uh, looking at the church uh, and what God has to say to us about the church in his word. Uh, I am uh, a bit of a fan of thinking about ads. I'm not a fan of ads. <laughs> I don't really like ads, but I'm a fan of thinking about ads because uh, when you analyse what's happening in ads, you, you learn what at least the advertisers think about the way we think. Uh, I don't actually watch much free-to-air TV anymore, so I haven't seen many ads lately, but I remember an ad from some years ago where there was a woman, she was standing in front of a massive mirror, and she was speaking to her reflection, and because it was a the magic of TV kind of thing, her reflection spoke back to her and she, the conversation that she was having with herself was that she'd been working very hard, she'd been uh, really having a very busy life and, and so she deserved to treat herself and of course she managed to convince herself that she did deserve to treat herself, which is not probably a terribly hard thing for most of us to do, but anyway, that's what she did. Now you, you, you might think, well, I wonder what that's an ad for. Now, how would you, how do you treat yourself? Maybe it was an ad for a day spa, maybe for a concert or a, a holiday company. Uh, it was actually an ad for Toyota. So I don't know who is out there in the world who thinks, you know, I need to treat myself. I'm going to go and buy a brand new car. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, well, that's what the people at Toyota thought, and no doubt, given that they spend millions of dollars testing and investigating people with their psychologists, they probably, there must be some people who actually would do that. Nevertheless, it gives you a sense of this idea that I think is prevalent in our society, in fact, it's almost at the core of our society, that is, that when we want to treat ourselves, when we want to look after ourselves, when we want to relax, what we need to do is go and spend money and buy something or treat ourselves by going on an experience or a holiday or an adventure or going out to a nice restaurant or a cafe or getting a tattoo, which I, that's one I don't understand, but that's what some people seem to like to do. We are a consumerist society. 
we spend money, we consume to make ourselves feel good, to feel happy, to feel relaxed. And woe betide the provider, the service provider, if you don't meet my standards. You can't buy anything these days, can you, without two days later, an email arriving in your inbox saying, would you please fill out this survey to tell us about your experience with our company? No, no, I will not. No, no survey for you, nothing. Can't. Why? Because they understand that you have to please the customer. You must please the customer, otherwise they will not come back and buy your thing. That's the world we live in. What's in it for me? Does this suit me? Is this what I want? We are a consumerist society. And indeed, I think it's so deeply ingrained in the way we think about life that it, to, to think that there might actually be a different way of considering life is difficult. Well, what happens when that is the way people think about life and we come to church? When we think about church, the temptation is to come thinking, well, was it to my liking? Was the service provided the service that I wanted? As though we should be sending you emails every Sunday to say, would you like to fill in a short survey on whether you enjoyed the service? You know, what was, was the children's ministry up to scratch? Did it come in at the time that you wanted it to, to start? Was the, was the coffee good enough, JK? Hope you were on the... Yeah, well, it was. It was this morning. There we go. Right? What, was a sermon to my... Was the music good enough? Was it the service too long, too short? Were they interesting enough? Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with evaluation. I don't want you to think that we don't like evaluation. We do. But you've got to be evaluating by the right standard. Not by what do I want, but by the mission that we have. We have a mission, don't we? We've been thinking about that to some degree over the last few weeks. We have a mission from Jesus, go into all nations and make disciples baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, we have a mission to make new disciples of Christ and to teach them to grow them as disciples of Christ. That's our mission. That's the church's mission. And of course, when I say the word church, do not immediately think of an organization, an institution, a business as it were. The church, the word church merely means to gather, as many of you know. We are churching at this very moment. We are congregating. In some ways, that, word, that old word that we don't use much anymore, the congregation, is a much more accurate translation of the word in the, in the New Testament that we translate church. And so when it comes to the gathering, the church, the question, does it work for me? isn't going to work. That's not what the Bible talks about. And Hebrews really reveals to us how the Bible does talk, the questions it does, we, we should be asking, what we should be aiming for and, and how we should be aiming for it. And that's really my, my kind of way of moving through this this morning. We want to ask, what should we be doing when we come to church, when we gather as the people of God and how 
will we do it? Well, what should we do and how, how will we do it? And the, the what is there for us, we're going to jump in straight down to 24, we'll come back to the, pre- the previous verses uh, later on. And let us, says the writer, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. The writer's been very uh, careful in the way he picks his words here and he says, consider, that is, plan, strategize, work it out ahead of time. Whatever he's going to tell us to do, he doesn't want us to simply come along and hope, it all, hope that it all works out. He wants us, not just the people up here, hopefully we're planning, but all of us, as we gather, to come with a plan, with a strategy. Well, okay, for what? Well, he says, consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Uh, to spur someone on is to encourage them or, or, if you like, maybe to incite them. Now, incite is usually used in a negative sense in the English language, but I think it helps uh, understand what he's saying here. Um, I used to incite my older sister and it was with some planning. Right? It was, we call it teasing, but, you know, incite, incite. So one of the ways I would do this uh, is uh, I, would, I would tell my mother, when we were out shopping, I, was, I would tell my mother that I really liked foods, whether I did or not, uh, that my sister hated. Right. There was, so there was this orange fish, I think it was smoked cod, I'm not really sure, but it was not something I would eat now at all. But I, we would be in the shop and say, Mum, well, what should we get? Oh, look, that, that smoked, that, that orange fish, that's what I used to call it. That, oh, can we have the orange fish, Mum? I really like the orange fish. And then if we'd, we'd have it, and then you'd sit, oh, isn't this nice? Mmm, oh, this is so good. To incite, to, if you like, pull out of my sister a certain behaviour, to get her to act in a particular way. Now, I would do the same with battered salves. She, she thought they were disgusting. I can't imagine why that would be. Okay, fish and chip, what do you want, John? Oh, I have a battered salve. Mmm, oh, oh isn't, this, isn't this nice? Would you like some, Tanya? That was my sister. To incite, to pull out of her anger and, oh, that's disgusting, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, and to get a reaction. I was inciting her, I was spurring her on, not to love and good deeds, sadly, but to to, to frustration and anger and and rudeness toward me. I I was a lovely child. (laughs) No trouble at all, no trouble at all. Now, that's all negative, but it's the same concept. What could I do How could I act towards you? What words could I speak towards you so that what is likely to come, I can't guarantee it because you're your own person, but so that what is likely to come out of you is love and good deeds. Uh, Paul says something a a little bit similar in Romans 12. He says, uh, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honour. That is, when when you come together, try and... Try and win the honour game. Now, that sounds a bit arrogant, and we know what arrogant pulls out of other people is, like, that's not good. When you're arrogant, that's not going to pull out good things from people. But, but if you genuinely are honouring people, loving people, being kind to people, 
there's this multiplying effect, if you like, that your love and kindness and goodness will bring out similar things in other people and that's, that's what's being talked about here. Now, he's, he's talking, I've sort of already said this, but it, let's be clear, he's, he's saying this as we gather, verse, verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Because we're talking about church, which is when we gather. We come with the intent of spurring one another on. Now, I think most of us are used to the idea that when we come together, we're coming to worship. And I'm saying to you, now, we're coming together to spur one another on. Well, actually, they're not two separate things that you can only do one or the other. In fact, to do one is to do the other. So one of the ways to uh, spur one another on to love and good deeds is actually to worship God, to praise God. So you will find in many of the Psalms, but Psalm 95 is an example, come let us sing, let us sing for joy to the Lord, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. He said this, we, we, we gather together to praise God and as we praise God together, I'm encouraging you toward love and good deeds. So the worship of God, the praise of God encourages us, but it's also that one of the ways to worship God is to encourage one another. So in Romans 12, again, that starts, the chapter starts off, uh, in view of God's mercy, therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your worship, basically, of God. And the very first thing he addresses is the use of our gifts in the church to build up the body. And so when we worship God, we spur one another onto love and good deeds, and when we seek to grow each other in, their, in our faith, we also worship God. So you can't separate the two. And the point is that when we come to church, it is not a question of me and what do I want. It's a question of serving one another. And so I sing with gusto even when I don't maybe feel like it, even when I don't like the song. Why? Because it builds up other people. It spurs one, each other people on to love and good deeds. I engage with the sermon. I listen actively. And I talk about it afterwards to encourage other people that listening and learning from God's Word is important and significant. I'm spurring on to love and good deeds. And this isn't just a Sunday gathering, it's also a small group gathering, it's also a youth ministry gathering, it's also one-on-one -on -one Bible reading, like with meeting together with someone to read the Bible. It's even in meetings, we should be coming with this attitude of not, what's this, how is this going to serve me? What do I want? How, what can I get out of it? But how can I serve? How can I encourage? How can I strengthen the other people who are there? Well, how? How do we do that? I don't want to be uh, Captain Obvious, 
But it is right there, and it's important for us to note, do not give up meeting together. Do not give up meeting together. Now, it's worth saying, do not give up meeting together, because hopefully your faith will be strengthened when you meet together with other people. We should go to church with the hope and the prayer that God will encourage us and that we'll be strengthened in our faith and so on. That, that, there's nothing wrong with wanting that. But that is not our key motivation. That is not what's forefront in our mind is what can I get? But how can I serve other people? So there's a ministry to yourself and to your family by turning up to church. But more importantly, our focus this morning is that there's a ministry to others. And it's called the ministry of turning up. The ministry of turning up. There's lots of ministries. There's music ministry. There's preaching ministry. There's sound ministry. There's on the front door and whatever. There's all those ministries. But all of you have a ministry to do at church on a Sunday morning and at your small groups and other things too. And that is the ministry of being present. The ministry of being there. And so on Sunday morning or Saturday night, we shouldn't be asking ourselves, well, do I feel like turning up? Is there something better for me to do? Uh, how's the weather this morning? You know, are the fish biting? It shouldn't be, would I prefer to stay in my pyjamas this morning and watch online? Now, sorry to anyone online. And look, it's absolutely magnificent, I think, that we, we stream and that uh, people who haven't been to us before, are able to check us out, that's fantastic. It's fantastic that when people are sick and they can't come to church or they're, they're a long way away and they can't come to church and, and, and things like that, or the, like there's all sorts of reasons why people just genuinely cannot get here and I'm so glad that we're able to still connect with you uh, through the, the, this live stream, that's, that's fantastic. But if you were able to come, we'd love you to be here so that we can receive your ministry of turning up and you can receive ours. Because in the end, all you can do on the other side of the TV is consume. And we love to minister to you and be ministered, by, to, uh, be ministered from you to us as well. I see, this, this is not a shop front. It's a family. And we want our family to grow and to be built up and to be spurred on. And so we gather together. And we don't just gather together, but we're thoughtful because we're considering how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We're thoughtful about how we gather together. And so when we drive into the car park, we don't just think, well, what's the shortest walk for me today? We might think about other people who can't walk as far or newcomers who might be put off by a totally full car park and not sure what to do. By the way, if, uh, if you uh, hear this sermon and you think to yourself, well, I'm glad he's preaching that because those people have not been looking after me properly. They haven't been spurring me on. I'm sorry, you've missed the point. Because this isn't what about other people are doing for me, it's about what I can do for other people. It, matter, it means that when we walk into the building and we sit down in our seat, we ask what would be useful for other people. 
Where can I sit that will serve the other people? That I can engage with other people? Sometimes there's not that many people here for various reasons. Let me ask you, what's nicer when you walk into a building? When everyone seems to be sitting as far from the other people as they can or when people in the building are sitting as close to each other as they can? What feels better, do you think? We're doing it to serve one another. What would it be like for someone walking in the church? Where would they like to sit if that's the first time they've ever been? Spoiler alert, it's not the front two rows. You see, this is all about having the mentality as we walk into church of how can I spur my brothers and sisters on to love and good deeds. Now, of course, if you're, if you're here today and you're not a believer yet, you're just here to check, it out, check us out, by all means, consume. That's fine. You, you just take it all in. That's, that's what we want you to do. But once you are a believer in Christ, you ought to come with the, the intent of building others up, of, of serving and spurring others on. Now, there's, there's two other hows in this passage uh, that apart from just being there, and they both relate to reminding each other of truth. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind, we're told uh, in, in Romans, and so the truth is important to us. That's why I think we have preaching, it's why God speaks to us in, in, in a written form so that we can read it and think about it and study it, because as our minds are transformed, as we understand God and the world differently, that, that shapes our emotions and our thoughts and our hopes and our dreams and our ambitions and on all sorts of things. And so we are people of truth, and we want to speak truth to each other, not lecture each other, but truth should season our words. And there's two truths that the author wants to pass on to this church, a church which, by the way, was tempted to throw it all in because they were being persecuted. He wants to give them two truths, important truths, so that they keep on going. And they're, they're good for us as we seek to spur one another on to love and good deeds. The first is in uh, the 19 to 22 it says 23, but that's my mistake. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith that that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, one of the kind of difficulties, if you like, of Hebrews is that it's written to a group of Jewish Christians and so they just knew the Old Testament inside out and so the writer can speak to them in all the imagery of the Old Testament, which may, may not be so familiar with, but what the writer is speaking about here is a, a place within the temple, the Holy of Holies, or he calls it the most holy place, where the presence of God particularly dwelt. Now, you, only one person a year could go into there and then only through lots of sacrifices because if you were to just wander into the Holy of Holies, you would die. A sinful person cannot come into the presence of God. That was, that was the message that was being kind of preached through that symbolism. But now the writer says to them, we have confidence 
to enter the most holy place. Imagine that. Imagine you've grown up in Jewish society. You know about the temple. You know there's this place. And and all of your life you've been told it's dangerous. Don't go in there. The wrath of God will fall on you. You you will be destroyed if you try and enter the presence of God when when you're not clean. And now all of a sudden you're told, now we have confidence to enter the most holy place. You can just go on in there. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Why? Because of the blood of Christ. He has opened the way. And you see that pictured in the, in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus dies on the cross. As he dies, the, temple in the, in the, the curtain in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. Now you can go in, is the message. Because we've been cleansed of our guilt. When we stand before God, we have no guilt because Christ has taken it all for us. And not only that, he's transforming us. Uh, Verse 14, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That is, we are perfect because of Christ, but we are being transformed, we are being made holy, we are being made new. And so because of that, because we are being transformed, we can go into God, we can have a new relationship with God, we can associate with God in a way that no one ever has. And that is a truth that we need reminding of what Jesus has done for us. How am I going to do good deeds? How am I going to be full of love for God and his people when I'm reminded what Jesus has done for me? The, the gospel is the, the lifeblood, the, the, the transforming power uh, for us. It is grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness, says Paul in Titus. And when I'm lost in my sin and feeling dreadful and and stuck and unable to move, I need brothers and sisters who remind me of what Jesus has done. When life is hard and I feel far from God, I need to know that God wants me to approach his throne with confidence because of Jesus. When I've drifted off into sin and I sort of don't, I'm just going through the motions, I don't care anymore. I need my brothers and sisters to remind me as we sung, to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Actually, I don't know if the musicians knew they were doing this, but I'm going to say they did because they're lovely people. But wasn't it wonderful? We sung, fix your eyes upon Jesus, and then the very next song, it gave us everything we needed to know to fix our eyes on Jesus. The wonderful gospel message, our future hope, everything was there in that next... Anyway, I just thought that was wonderful. Thank you, musicians. But that's what we need, you see. That's what we need to spur us on to love and good deeds is that very thing, through our singing, but also through the words that we speak to one another. Well, we don't just need to know what Jesus has done, past tense, We also need to be reminded of what he has promised to do. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Jesus' death has opened the way through the curtain. His resurrection has guaranteed us an eternal future with him in paradise where we will have immortal bodies and a perfect heart so that we love him and love our neighbour perfectly. And to live by faith is to know that truth that we cannot see and let that truth transform the decisions and the choices 
and the feelings and the hopes and the dreams and the ambitions that we have now. We let the, the certain future that we have in Christ Jesus transform the way we live now. Now, if you're anything like me, that's easy to forget. I am often transformed, my thinking is captured, my feelings and emotions and my decisions are guided by what is right in front of me, by the circumstances of life, by the troubles I face, by the good things that are, in front, that are being offered to me, by the tasks that I need to do. And so I need reminding of what Jesus has promised I need reminding that though I might sacrifice here, and yes, I might sacrifice a Sunday out on the water, or at my home in my pyjamas, or whatever else it might be, in order to be in a church with a whole bunch of weirdos who love Jesus, well, you know, that's what we are, let's be honest. But it's worth it. And I'm not missing out on anything because I have an eternal future with Jesus. No weekend given up here is a loss of anything because I have an eternity of weekends. I have an eternity on the water. You're going to hate fishing by the end. No, you probably won't, but you know what I mean? Like it's just, you have an eternity. And I need you to remind me of that. I need you to remind me that if I suffer loss for Christ, whether it's because people hate me for my faith or because I had to make a hard decision in order to be obedient to him or whatever it is, that Christ has a hundred and fold and more stored up in his Father's house for me. That I've suffered no loss, really. It's temporary at, at, at worst. I need you to tell me that when people reject me, that nothing can snatch me from the hand of Jesus. That though the world is uncertain and the future clouded, my future is assured because of Jesus the King has assured me that he will give me what he has promised. See, we need reminding of the hope we profess and that our God is faithful. That's what we come to church to do. To have words seasoned with the truth of the gospel and of our future with Christ so that we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's not about me, it's not about what I'm going to get out of it, not in the first place. It's about what I can do for you. And so have you planned and plotted and schemed? (laughs) Who in your circle, the people you engage with most, How do they need to be encouraged and spurred on? And of course, the reason we do it, the why, we've looked at the what and the how, the why is actually the same as the how. Why do do I want to spur you on? Why would we do that? Well, because there is a new and living way into the Father's presence. We can be with God. And I want you to experience that. I want you to experience that. I'm going to spur you on and point you toward that, encourage you in that, so that we're together enjoying the presence of God. And I want to spur you, and and, and I spur you on because we have a hopeful future. We have a, a bright future with Christ. We are going somewhere. He has got us. We are being transformed. And so... We want this church to overflow with love and good deeds. 
because our Saviour died to give us God and a future. And we want Him to be glorified. And that's why we come. Not to get, but to serve. So that this church might overflow with love and good deeds to the glory of our glorious Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much that when you rescue us, when you save us uh, from sin and death, that you bring us into a family, a church, a gathering, this, this group. We thank you that you've saved us into this group, this group of people. And we pray, Father, that as we gather, whether it be here on a Sunday or in small groups or in other ways, that you would help us to come with the mindset of wanting to serve, that we will be planners and schemers, not for negative ends, but for spurring one another on to love and good deeds, so that we might overflow with love and good deeds to the glory of our, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that you've saved us to this, a far better life than what's in it for me. And we pray that you would help us by your spirit to live out the life you've called us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.